With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Live. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad, I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Tuesday on the Radio Northwest Network, and I've got a question to ask you. Michigan, right now, as we speak, is asking its residents to house both illegal aliens and refugees. They've lumped that whole category of people, and it is literally millions of people, both illegal aliens and refugees and asylum seekers and all the rest. Would you take them in? And if you say, well, Lars, this isn't a question for us in the Northwest. It's a question for Michigan. Believe me, I think that this question is going to be one that's going to be posed in one way or another. They're either going to want your money to house illegal aliens and refugees, or they're going to want your house. I mean, we've already seen Boston, Massachusetts, that has demanded that residents start to take in so-called refugees and migrants. And now we see Michigan, a state I thought had some common sense, and they say, Gosh, we'd like to have you take in some refugees, take in some illegal aliens, and not just for a night or two. Oh, no, wait till we get into the details of this. But I want you to consider that question because you understand Joe Biden has created a massive problem for the entire country. And if you think it's only a problem for Eagle Pass, Texas, or maybe for Florida or Alabama or New York City and Chicago, which are currently housing in one way or another, Hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens. And they're also, by the way, telling the residents of those cities and those states, we have to cut back on the services for you citizens so that we can make room for all these people that Joe Biden invited to invade our country. It really comes down to that. And I know there are a lot of people out there saying, Lars, you can't call them illegal aliens. Well, are they illegally here? Okay, that makes them illegal. Are they aliens? Are they foreign nationals? Alien is the word used in federal law to describe all foreign nationals. The ones that are illegally here are illegal aliens. And you say, but that doesn't sound very nice. No, it's not a very nice problem at all. It comes along with child trafficking and uh, rape. It comes along with drug trafficking. It comes along with abuse of people. 
Why, right here in the Pacific Northwest, we've already had raids on illegal marijuana plantations that were staffed, if you can call it that, with slaves. I mean, Southern Oregon, more than almost two years ago now, when we talked to sheriffs in Southern Oregon, and they find a dead body dumped off at a gas stop in Southern Oregon, and they go to investigate, where did this guy come from, and how is it he just dropped dead? He wasn't shot, he wasn't knifed, he just died from exposure, malnutrition, and everything else. Where do you find somebody like that in the Pacific Northwest? And the answer is, he was a slave. And yes, an illegal alien on top of that, but these people were being held as slaves, 150 of them, to work a marijuana plantation. And why? Because I think the Mexican drug cartels don't want to share their profits if they've got a bunch of illegal aliens handy who owe it to them for sneaking them across the border. Why, let's go to Oregon. We'll set up an illegal grow. We'll make lots of money. Remember the very thing that the marijuana legalization proponents said would not happen? They said if we legalize this stuff, if the state gets a tax on it, why... We won't, we won't have an illegal marketplace for pot anymore. Ha <laughs> ha, guess again. No, you've actually made the marketplace for the Mexican cartels to set up slave plantations in Oregon. I know, oh so correct, politically correct, and very woke, and very DEI, CRT, and all the rest of that. Oregon now is the place where slavery is being practiced in the modern age. And all the liberals are running around in Salem and Portland saying, let's rename a statue. Let's rename a highway or maybe a street. We'll show them how politically correct we are while ignoring the fact you've actually got slavery going on in your own state. But now we get back to this problem. Ten million people have already come into the country. They are continuing to come in at a rate above 10,000 per day. That is more than 350,000 a year. Joe Biden has no inclination to fix this problem. The Democrats on Capitol Hill have already blocked every effort to fix the problem in the law. And really, the problem is Joe. And I know that you say, but Lars, you want to blame everything on him. Let me point out, we had a record low level of illegal entry to this country under Donald Trump. Joe Biden took over, and over the next several months, in the first year of his so-called presidency, he signed 94 executive orders that reversed or stopped every single illegal entry policy that Donald Trump had adopted. So Joe Biden signed 94 executive orders. You want to fix the problem? If you can't get any action on Capitol Hill, then for goodness sake, tell Joe to reverse the 94 executive actions that he took. And these were all about controlling the influx of people across our border. Joe doesn't want to do it. Joe's planning on using all those illegals as voters this November. And the Democrats are seeing their salvation. I mean, they're losing black Americans. They've lost Hispanic Americans to a large degree. They're telling the United Auto Workers, we're going to throw you under the bus. I mean, there are major American labor unions that are telling their members, we're going to endorse Joe Biden. He's going to wipe out your job, but we think it's politically important to endorse him. There are union leaders who are admitting, my members are not going to vote for Joe. But the union that they pay dues to is going to endorse Joe Biden. And why? Because they see political success in these illegal aliens. So let me go back to Michigan now. We've already had Massachusetts months ago telling residents, Boston is full. We've got to put these people somewhere. Will you take them in in suburban communities? And now Michigan. 
If you don't think this is going to come to Oregon and Washington, I think you are mistaken. So the Office of Global Michigan, which sounds about as politically correct as the day is long, is now looking for resident volunteers to house migrants in their homes and help integrate them into U.S. society. Well, good luck with that as well. The Michigan Department of Labor and Economic Development says residents who want to participate must make a 90-day commitment. You need to take in an illegal alien family, and they need to stay at your house for at least three months. I would warn you, you know, there is a reason. When I was a little kid, my dad was a national park ranger, and they always warned people, don't feed the animals in the parks. They'll get used to it. I'll tell you what, when that illegal alien family moves into your home for that 90-day stay, and you figure, well, at the end of 90 days, they'll, they'll have found a place of their own to live. No, they might just decide they like to stay. And just remember all the changes that you've seen made by Democrats in Olympia and Salem who've changed the rules on what rights you have as a landlord. So guess what? You say, but they're not paying me anything. How can they be a tenant? Check the landlord-tenant law. Even if you let them live at your house for free, they have tenant rights. And you're going to have one heck of a time trying to get them to move out. Just consider that. And our ex-poll today goes this way. Michigan wants residents to house illegal aliens and refugees. Would you take them in? I would give you a solid no on that. You can vote any way you like. The poll on X is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, you go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Oh, and the Northwest Nonsense is coming up next on the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. When he talks, you have no choice but to listen. More with Lars. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you bloody well right. You know he got a right to sit. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? 
Lars. That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. Oregon Democrats made a deal with the devil. Now, it sounds like a script for a low-budget horror flick. A big pile of campaign contributions to keep you in office was the offer made to Democrats. But in exchange, you have to agree to a big, fat pile of dead constituents. And by the way, the pile includes children, too, if that makes any difference. Three years ago, voters passed Measure 110 to legalize hard drugs. The evil billionaire George Soros, through his East Coast Drug Policy Alliance, funded the Oregon ballot measure with millions. In fact, the Drug Policy Alliance literally wrote the measure and supplied about 95% of the funding through a Portland entity that was only a post office box. They were doing it from a distance. The DPA provided between 5 and $6 million to pass the measure. A Opponents had less than 200000 Now that's a 30 to 1 difference in spending. And the money apparently worked. Voters said yes by 58%. That legalization produced the biggest increase in fentanyl overdose deaths in all of America. Deaths up 1,500% since 2019. Think of it as 15 times the number. Today, with a drug-devastated state around them, the polls now say that two-thirds of the voters would reverse ballot measure 110. But another ballot measure would take millions of dollars that nobody has, and it would take years to make the change. In the meantime, the dying continues. The legislature could act quickly, but it's controlled by Democrats. They have majorities in both houses, and they are big majorities. They know that if they cancel the Soros drug experiment, the one that uses Oregonians as lab rats, they stand to lose big-time donors that will keep them in office. So, for Democrats, this is a hard choice. Stacks of body bags or stacks of campaign cash. Which one should I pick? Three guesses which one Oregon Democrat lawmakers will pick because they're making that choice at this moment down in Salem. And our question of the day on the topic, and this was just coincidence, but Wade Doak wrote in and said, Lars, I'm not sure of the real numbers, but I'm fairly sure that drug deaths have now surpassed shooting deaths in Oregon. If you added the shooting deaths caused by drugs, gangs, etc., it'd be a staggering amount of deaths directly related to drugs. Add that to the mental and physical injuries caused by the drugs, and the numbers skyrocket. So why then does our Oregon government have their you know, knickers in a twist about guns. If they'd look at the root causes, they'd find drugs at the top of the list, but they seem to encourage the use of drugs signed Wade. Well, Wade inspired me to actually look up the real numbers. How many people died because of being shot, and that includes suicides as well. In the state of Oregon, and I'll cite my source, this is from everystat.org that I've found to be trustworthy, in an average year in Oregon, 544 people die and 617 are wounded by guns in the state of Oregon. That's less than 1,200. The number of people killed just by fentanyl in the 12 months ending in September of last year, that would be north of 1,200. So Wade Doak is exactly right. The number of people who, if you compare the number of people dying from fentanyl to the total number of people both killed and wounded using a gun, well, fentanyl wins that race. And from Twitter, uh, Clackamas County Commissioner Tootie Smith, who's the chair, says ODOT is now posting jobs to run the tolling system that they've put on hold and that voters have not approved. 
$200,000 a year for tolling jobs. They didn't seem to get the message yet. We stopped it for two years, and we will stop it permanently. We need everyone to sign Initiative Petition 4 to demand a vote before the tolls signed Tootie Smith. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. I want to give the Daily Grill based on something that Joe Biden said. And it's amazing. He was quoted in the Washington Post on the 4th of February, just about two weeks ago. And what did he say? I have never been gainfully employed in my life. You know, I mean, I've never cashed a paycheck in my entire life. You think I'm joking? I'm not. That's the direct quote in the very liberal Jeff Bezos-owned Washington Post from Joe Biden. I mean, I understand. I've pointed out plenty of times the guy's never had a real job. Never. He's never had a real job, and he's worth millions of dollars that he apparently obtained through fraud and corruption and crime. But to actually brag about the fact I've never been gainfully employed in my life, you know, I've never cashed a paycheck in my entire life. You think I'm joking? I'm not. This is the guy who's sitting in the Oval Office right now. And then your best emails. And the best one so far comes in from Mike Smythe or Smith in Snoqualmie, Washington. He spells it with a Y, so I hope I got it right. Mike Smythe, who says... About Jay Inslee's crazy carbon tax, that is a law, and that law requires that agriculture, meaning farmers, are exempt from the carbon tax. But the state of Oregon and Jay Inslee have said we're too busy to go through the long process of exempting farmers. So even though the law requires that the state exempt farmers from the carbon tax, the state of Washington says they're too busy. Well, here's what Mike writes in from Snoqualmie. Lars, I've got a compact tractor that I buy off-road diesel fuel for. There are no road taxes included in the pump price, and the fuel is dyed to distinguish between on-road fuel with road tax and ag fuel. There's no reason the wholesale ag fuel couldn't have the carbon tax credited at the wholesaler. That's not done because the state wants the revenue, regardless of what the law says. Democrats have transformed themselves into barbarians. They don't care about obeying the law nor obeying the Constitution. They don't want a crime-free environment, and they certainly don't want legal gun ownership. Everything they do degrades civilization. Sign Mike in Snoqualmie. Glad to get your calls. It's a Tuesday on the Radio Northwest Network, and your calls are always welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our poll on X. Would you be willing to take in a family of illegal aliens for, say, 90 days at a time, the way Michigan is asking its residents to do? Ted, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Sir, thank you very much. You bet. I am frustrated when I hear stories of high school girls, college girls, being hurt by pretend wannabe players. Girls. It frustrates me. They may be players, but they're not girls, right? Yes. Well, I'm very protective in my heart, and I want to emphasize I don't want to suggest any conflict or any violence or anything like that, but if my sister was in high school playing basketball and there were people on the court with her knocking her down and elbow elbowing her in the face, I would put on a pink wig 
join those teams and be the guard so that he was knocking me down or hitting me, but I would stick to that person so that he couldn't get near a girl. And you know what? Great minds think alike, Ted, because later on today, I'm going to talk about what happened in Massachusetts where one charter school basketball team of girls, three of them got knocked out of competition, physically injured because a male was playing as a girl on the opposing team. And we'll get to that later. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. actually want to be at. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network. We've been talking a lot about fentanyl. Of course, Oregon now stands out as the state in America that has seen the biggest single increase in deaths from fentanyl. And in fact, I had somebody write to me and say, well, Lars, it's increasing around the country. Yeah, it did. It increased uh, almost double, about 100% between 2019 and 2023. Uh, and you say, how much was the increase? While well, it was going up 100% around the country, how much was the increase in the Northwest? And the answer is about 15 times or 1,500%. So the problem in both Oregon and Washington is much bigger than it is around the rest of the country. And so I wanted to talk to Jim Rao, who's founder of the group called Families Against Fentanyl. Jim, good to have you on. Jim, are you there? Let's see. Let's see. No, he should be there. All right. Jim, are you there? Would you mind, uh, Joel, would you check on Jim's line and see what's going on there? Because I'm not hearing him come down the line. But we'll we'll get him back. Uh, may, his call may have dropped. So sorry about that. That's the nature of cell phones these days. But the fact is, is that Families Against Fentanyl was formed by Jim, I think in large part because of the fact that so many families are losing people because fentanyl is a problem not just for adults, but it's also a problem for juveniles. Jim, welcome back. Thank you for having me on, Lars. Uh, would you mind telling my audience why you did this? Because you have a personal connection to this problem. Yes, I do. My son Tom was killed by the dose of acetyl fentanyl sent directly from the Zhang Drug Trafficking Organization to a drug dealer in Akron. And that was sold to my son Tommy. Um, and he thought he was getting, you know, because it was white powder, he thought he was getting heroin. He did a dose that uh, killed him pretty instantly, and then my wife found him. It was a terrible tragedy, but uh, with the great work of uh, the Justice Department and the prosecutors, they uh, traced that uh, drug through an Akron drug dealer to the Zeng Drug Trafficking Organization in China, who was manufacturing it and sending it over via mail. And um, they were actually, I believe, agents working for the uh, Chinese Communist Party. Um, right now, it's reported that the Zangs are operating in Mexico, mass-producing fentanyl, and um, along with the cartels. So Tom was killed in 2015, and at that time, fentanyl was hardly even heard about. In 2018, they indicted the Zeng Drug Trafficking Organization, went to China and prosecuted them in the Ministry of Justice. And uh, after three days of prosecution and 15 minutes of uh, deliberation, the Chinese government let the Zeng Drug Trafficking or Zengs go. And uh, they were later confronted in, by uh, 60 Minutes, asked, what do you say to the 
parents of the kids you're killing in the United States. And at that time, the reporter from 60 Minutes was accosted and deported from the country. Um, this is a uh, slow-motion weapon of mass destruction that's uh, being stockpiled in the United States. My organization did the research to show that it's the number one killer of 18 to 45-year-olds. And we're on a mission to have fentanyl declared a weapon of mass destruction to, to uh, provide uh, accountability uh, to our government for their duties. Jim, it sounds like you, you believe you believe this is something but that, that, among others, the Chinese government could act to stop if they chose, right? Absolutely. There's, and, only, so many, there's, there's only so much supply of ANPP in the world. Most of that's coming out of China, and they have the direct ability to shut that supply out immediately. And that's the precursor. Does it frustrate you that Joe Biden, who has talked to the, the president, the head of China, the head of the dictatorship, a number of times, and I don't know that he's ever brought up fentanyl? Maybe he has, but I don't believe he has. I'm totally frustrated by our federal government. They're, they're turning a blind eye to this, to the cost of hundreds of thousands of lives. And they're, they're putting our national security at risk. Um, this material is being stockpiled in the United States. and can be used for mass casualty attacks. Because the stuff is dangerous enough that in powdered form, or if it gets aerosolized, you, you can actually have, you, you do have police officers who are overcome by fentanyl just while they're doing a fentanyl bust. That's true, and fentanyl put into the, uh, let's say, the Boston bombers bomb would have been unbelievably devastating. But even beyond that, if they'd have packed that truck full of uh, fentanyl along with those nitrates in Oklahoma City, there would be no more in Oklahoma City. This material is prevalent and available. And as I said, all of these uh, seizures are indicative of, of stockpiling, and it's year after year. So there's no way with the amount coming in that uh, all of the addicts in history could ever uh, consume. So tell me, this is tell me really, this. really a huge problem. What, what do you think? Uh, I, there may be more than one answer. I, I usually think most big problems don't have a single answer. But how, what do we need to do to make this stop killing Americans? Well, the best harm reduction is supply reduction. You know, you keep making more and more addicts all the time. This is a well-known mechanism in humanity that people have become addicted to this at an unbelievable rate. So we're prescribing weapon of mass destruction because it enables the government to have an all-of-government approach, and it also provides accountability for them to perform their duties. They know that this is a huge national security risk, and, that it, and um, they're still allowing it to happen because they don't they they'll let their other policies go through at the risk of our safety is our wide open southern border a piece of that problem it's a huge piece of our problem they say that it's uh only coming through that port of entry um where most of the americans are going through but that's the only place they're looking they're not checking any of the de minimis packages which are over a billion now over a billion packages with no scrutiny whatsoever no customs border patrol no uh checking through the uh machinery at, at uh, the mailboxes or at the postal offices and nobody knows how much is coming through canada being dropped off at sea you know in bail form like they used to do with cocaine how much is coming through tunnels drones everything else they they have no clue because they're not looking anywhere else what do you think the real agenda is then if the u.s government and, and I'll fault Biden because I'm not a fan of Joe Biden. But 
any American president who doesn't talk to China, doesn't demand that China change things, doesn't talk to Mexico, doesn't demand that Mexico change things, doesn't secure the border, because that's a piece of it. I realize there are people saying we only find it at ports of entry, but I agree with you. That's the only place they're looking. And and then we see gigantic seizures. I mean, there have been seizures in the last year where the police have said, we've got enough fentanyl here that are properly distributed to kill 5 million people. No joke. That big. And you say, and that's just one seizure. And you assume that if the cartels are in business, for every seizure that gets made, there may be two or three more shipments or 10 or 12 that are getting through that never get seized. So what do we need to do about this when the, the folks in charge at almost every level, you know, state, federal, and local, aren't doing what they need to do? We need to make an uproar, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, to make the public aware that this is a weapon of mass destruction. This isn't a drug. This is A drug goes through pharmacological rigors. This is like making epoxy in the jungle with a couple buckets and a canoe paddle. This is nowhere near a drug. This is a poison that has extremely rapid addiction onset. And our government doesn't want the, the panic and the responsibility for the situation to, to get out of control. And they're keeping secrets uh, at it at the peril of our uh, of our national security. And it's extremely upsetting to see this continuous growth, the, in spite of all of the hundreds of thousands of Narcan doses and harm reduction, this monster continues to grow. We showed that it was number one killer of 18 to 45-year-olds, and now the fastest-growing demographics is infants and babies. Unbelievable. That's Jim Rao from Families Against Fentanyl. It's familiesagainstfentanyl.org. Jim, thank you very much. Back in just a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Broadcasting from his socially distanced bunker to yours, it's sanitized entertainment. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Tuesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and it's my pleasure to be with you. And I'm glad to take your calls as well. Our poll on X today, 
Michigan wants residents to house illegal aliens and refugees. The state of Michigan has actually made a formal request. They haven't yet said you have to take them in. But would you take in a family of refugees or illegal aliens? And the state of Michigan is saying you need to take them in for at least 90 days. And all the implications that go with that, would you take them in? I'd answer no to the question on the fa- on its face. You tell me how you want to answer. Just uh, go to the poll on X. You'll find it on what used to be Twitter, at Lars Larson Show. And you'll find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Yesterday's poll on X was this, about San Francisco's decision to add a non-citizen Chinese national to their city elections commission. In other words, a woman who is not a citizen of the United States who cannot vote in U.S. elections has now been added to the San Francisco Elections Commission. I thought that was a crazy idea, so we asked it this way, trying to be as neutral as we can. Should a non-citizen be in charge of running elections? 97% of you joined me in a no vote on that. Only 3% of you said yes, and boy, would I love to talk to those naysayers. If you want to jump in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you first at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And uh, I want to mention this as well. You know, speaking of the drug problem we've been talking about, customers were forced to evacuate. It was a Krispy Kreme. A Seattle business is the way Como describes it. After people were caught smoking drugs inside a bathroom for almost an hour at the Krispy Kreme. So in other words, they had the drug smoke, not just in the bathroom, but likely in the rest of the business as well. Seattle police say that officers were called to a business on Aurora Avenue North uh, on Sunday, just after 2 p.m. They found two people smoking drugs inside a bathroom for about 40 minutes. But remember, what happens if you get caught? Next to nothing, because there's not much they can do with you. I mean, technically, the Washington legislature has said, uh, we're going to allow you to charge them with a, a low-level misdemeanor, but it's really not going to change the situation overall. The second thing that I've just got to mention to you, um, decades ago, I did some documentaries about Japanese Americans who had been locked up in internment camps during World War II. And, in fact, it turned out that some of the people I interviewed were people I'd known for a long time, uh, one guy named Bill Nato whose family, Japanese Americans, but most importantly, they were Americans, who were then locked up because of their ancestry. And I talked to Bill about it. I talked to a number of people, uh, and we put, we put it together as a documentary. There were a number of internment camps in the Northwest. I've been to some of the camp, uh, the camps that still remain or have been preserved for historic reasons. Well, now, there's a group of Japanese Americans who were locked up in internment camps during World War II who've been co-opted by the groups who don't like the idea of removing non-citizens from the United States through deportation. So they staged a protest at Tacoma's Northwest Ice Processing Center. It's a private, it's a building run by a private group called the GEO Group. And what they do is they lock people up there preparatory to deporting them. It can hold up to 1,500 people. You don't really know how many people are there on any given day. But on Sunday, this group called La Resistenza, uh, or Stinza, uh, is a, uh, a group that advocates for illegal aliens. They managed to co-opt 
a group called Suru for Solidarity, made up of descendants of those who were locked up during World War II, calling for the facility to be shut down. And they say, they quoted uh, Kinoshida, who is president of the Seattle Japanese American Citizens League. These are types of experiences we can't forget. Whenever we see someone in a similar situation, you see lots of people of Japanese descent here. We resonate with that message. Now, I want you to try and wrap your head around this, because as I said, I have respect for the people who were dragged off to the internment camps. Most of their belongings, their homes, their businesses were sold for 10 cents on the dollar. They came back out of the camps years later, in some cases, to nothing because it had all been taken away from them. But these were American citizens. And now you're seeing the Japanese American Citizens League allying itself with people who stand up for people who are not legally in the country. And for the life of me, I can't see the comparison other than saying, well, both groups are being locked up. Japanese Americans, in a way that modern society has finally decided was not the appropriate thing to do, it wasn't necessary or even uh, justified at the time, comparing that to locking people up who've come into the country illegally, are staying here illegally, and who are committing crimes every day when they go to work, I think they're two different things entirely. And it stuns me that Japanese Americans or their descendants who are now saying, well, because of my grandma or father's experience in the internment camp, that they see a comparison between that and deporting people from a country that actually has immigration in the Constitution. It has statutes that cover who comes here legally and who does not. And yet somehow they see a comparison between locking up American citizens because of their ancestry and locking up people who are not Americans because they're here illegally. Doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think they should have been co-op that way. This segment brought to you by Protect Power. Make sure your loved ones are safe when the power goes out. Call 541-ONA-JET. You've got the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big solo? Exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Mars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. You know, there are simultaneous efforts that are going on in Oregon and Washington in an attempt, and I don't think I'm exaggerating this, to make it absolutely impossible for private citizens to be able to own guns, 
to keep guns, to be able to sell guns, all of those things are going to become impossible. The, the effort clearly in the state of Washington, uh, state of Oregon, is Measure 114, although that's tied up in the courts right now, and thank God for that. But in Washington state, it's an active effort before the state legislature, which is in session in Olympia right now. Washington bills 2118 and 1903 would make gun ownership, well, nearly impossible. And Dan Mitchell joins me now. He knows it better than I do. Uh, Dan owns Sporting Systems in Vancouver. He's founder of the Washington Civil Rights Association. Dan, have I overstated the risk that we're up against? Ray, I, you've almost understated it, Lars. <laughs> I don't sorry about that people I don't think people really understand how intrusive uh twenty one eighteen House bill twenty one eighteen is going to be to the FFL community in the state of Washington. Uh, it is absolutely going to to kneecap the industry and and by kneecapping it doesn't just make it harder to do business. it essentially will make it impossible. For the majority, when I say majority, I am guessing probably close to 95% of current FFLs in the state of Washington of their ability to survive the compliance requirements that are being uh, shoved down our throats right now. So in other words, instead of if the Democrats' ultimate dream would be to make it illegal, for citizens to own guns, but they know there's the Second Amendment and that won't survive. So they don't seek to make it illegal. They just seek to make it so very difficult that if there are no vendors to sell guns, you can say, well, you can buy a gun if you can find somebody who's able to sell it to you. And if they manage to wipe that industry out to a large degree, they'll just simply get the effect they want. They'll ban citizens from owning guns by just saying, yeah, buy any gun you can find, but you're not going to find many or at all. It, pretty precisely that it, they're attempting to make it so onerous to purchase a firearm uh, through training, through uh, fees, through through just you know waiting periods, exclusions to what you can buy, um, so on and so forth. They're just trying to make it so onerous and expensive that you're going to price most people out of it. It's going to turn into a, a pay for play privilege instead of a right. Those that can afford it can play. Those that cannot are going to be pushed to the sidelines, and those are generally the communities that need the ability to protect themselves the most because they have the, the worst police response times and the highest crime rates in their uh, in their neighborhoods. So you, they're, they're just effectively pushing a lot of people uh, completely away from the ability to lawfully purchase, and I say this, lawfully purchase and possess a firearm. They're going well, to create an underground market in the similar, same way that prohibition did with alcohol, um, it's their their people are going to want firearms, and they'll go through the mechanisms mechanisms they need to to get them um, if they feel like they uh, they need that protection. Well, so and and Dan, there will be people who will break the law, but look at the other end of the spectrum. What they've done, if they make it very difficult and very expensive and you have very few dealers and those dealers are going to have to charge a lot for their services, uh, then it means the elites in Washington state, uh, that means the, 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 you know, the, the uh, very, in, in most cases, very liberal uh, millionaires and billionaires of Seattle, they'll have no problem providing their security staff with firearms and they'll have no problem owning firearms themselves 
because they can afford it. But what it will mean is the average person out there who's now beset by a lot of crime and other events going on that are also under the control of the authorities, the judicial system and the rest, will say, well, I want to buy a gun because the police response time and the 911 response time is so long, I have to provide my own protection. And they'll say, sorry, you've been priced right out of that. But your elite masters, the rich people, will still be able to afford guns, right? Absolutely. That's, that's exact. They're trying to find every mechanism they can to get guns out of the hands of citizens. And if they can't do it through regulations that are determined or that are falling left and right because they're unconstitutional, they're trying to find secondary measures to make it harder and harder to, uh, to obtain and possess and use firearms lawfully. So it's just, it's another way to tie things up in the courts. And this one, this House Bill 2118 has already been challenged. The premise of it has been challenged in California by the Second Amendment Foundation, uh, Richards v. Newsom. It's the, it's the same requirements. Home dealers have to put audio and video security cameras in their homes and provide that to the Attorney General's office at their beck and call. They have to put bars on the outside of their windows in violation of fire codes and building codes. They have to do all of these different things, which will just, which will put the smaller dealers completely out of business. But many of your large ones, you think of Cabela's with them having bars over all of their front windows and having to do two years of video storage of everything in their store. Uh, you know, insane levels of, of data storage. Uh, it's, it, it's crazy. A law, a law enforcement, a Washington State Patrol officer, his dash cam video has to be deleted by law after 60 days. We have to keep ours of an empty storage room. For that We have to keep that video for 730 days. Two Boy, years. There's absolutely no, there's absolutely no logic. I spent the weekend with an FBI robbery investigator, and he's now a county sheriff. But he spent 20-some years doing robbery investigations. He said, if you're not getting that information inside of 24 hours, it really doesn't do much good. You have to be able to move fast. You don't need it two years from now. You don't need it 60 days from now. And if the agency can't respond inside of 730 days, you have way bigger issues than the person that just attempted to break into a gun store. See, you and if people, if, Dan, if, if people read these two bills, they look kind of pedestrian. I mean, House Bill 1903, uh, fingerprinting for, ba for dealers, background check, okay, blah de blah requires dealers to adopt specified security features, alarm systems, firearm storage, surveillance systems, and record-keeping. Somebody just glancing over that would say, okay, they probably have 90% of that right now. As you point out, you don't, nor, nor does it make any law enforcement sense to do so, and yet they're going to require it knowing that it's going to cost so much that it's going to drive people like you right out of the business. Yeah, for for us, it's not as bad because we've invested so heavily on our security already. We've got bars, we've got security cameras, we've we've got data storage that goes well beyond what uh, what any reasonable shop should need. But that's our that's our choice. We've we've complied with lots of it, but there's an awful lot that we just can't comply with. What's a floodproof safe? We have to keep our records in a floodproof safe. Well. I, I can't roll a submarine up to our front door and keep our, our, our data and our records inside of a submarine. So, you know, it's, it's such silly things like that inside of the bill that are just absolutely ludicrous. It sounds like it's going to make it virtually impossible. Dan Mitchell is with Sporting Systems in Vancouver, founder of the Washington Civil Rights Association. Dan, thanks very much. I appreciate it.
Back in a moment, I'll get to your calls at 866-A-LARGE. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Because you can't get enough, Lars. Podcast every show at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I realize we've talked about trans an awful lot on this program, but it's very much a target-rich environment and is very much a threat to Americans. And I want to explain to you why, especially to children. And that is children in athletic competition, to the privacy of children, to the rights of children. I've There are three brand new examples, at least three, that I've got to give to you because these are so crazy. But almost on a daily basis, I can find things that are being done in the name of transgender rights, so-called, that should be offensive to just about everybody and that threaten to intrude on the civil rights of kids and families and adults as well. So let me start into this, but first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you care to, take a moment and cast a vote in our X poll. used to be called the Twitter poll, but you'll find it on X, at Lars Larson Show. And here's the question. Michigan wants residents to house illegal aliens and refugees, would you take them in? My answer would be no. People who came to my country with no invitation are about as welcome as a midnight guest at your house who's broken into your house. He's not a guest. He is an intruder. If somebody comes to your country and they come without your permission as a country, then they are unwelcome. And yet, for political reasons, various people from Joe Biden on down have decided they want to welcome in literally millions of people and then say to communities around America, you got to do something with all these people. And they've done that to the big cities. Now, Michigan is demanding that its residents put up housing for up to 90 days for both illegal aliens and refugees. The question is, when Michigan says, will you share your home with these refugees for at least 90 days? And I'd encourage you to take a look at the landlord-tenant laws in your state, because even if you're not charging those illegal aliens, if you decide to take them in, 
Once you've taken them in, they establish tenant rights in your home. And getting rid of them may be more than a little bit difficult. Again, you can find the question at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. But let me get to these transgender examples quickly. Number one, three girls injured in a basketball game because they were playing against a girls varsity team from another school. And one of the players was transgender, a male on the opposing team who identifies as a female. And what happened? The coach of this charter school, the Lowell girls basketball team, made the decision to simply end the game and take the forfeit. Why? Because he'd already seen three of his players injured in the game. He said the bench was already depleted going into the game with the 12-player roster having four players already unable to play. When the coach saw three more girls go down in the first half, leaving him with just five players, he made the call to end the game early. The school wrote in a press release that the charter school playoffs were coming up and he needed a healthy and robust bench in four days. Once the third was injured, the remaining five expressed concern about him about continuing to play. And what happened? They were playing against a biological male. In other words, a boy at high school age is going to be bigger, taller, heavier, and stronger. And they'd already, he'd already managed to knock three players out of competition. And even the Babylon Bee noticed the story about transgender basketball. Their headline was, Trans Basketball Player Achieves Rare Triple-Double with 36 points, 14 rebounds, and 11 concussions. I understand. Sometimes parody gets the point across. Then you've got America's Secretary of State, this Anthony Blinken character. And he has two wars to worry about already. A war in Israel against, uh, against uh, Hamas, the terrorist group, in Gaza. He's got a war in Ukraine and the potential for a third war. Uh, that one would be China over Taiwan, possibly involving the United States. What is Secretary of State Anthony Blinken worried about? He's worried about pronouns. He's actually instructed employees of the State Department. That's about 30,000 people in the U.S. State Department to refrain from using gendered terms. What does he mean by gendered terms? Mother, father, manpower. You can't use the term manpower. So Anthony Blinken says that gender is a social construct, so he's drank the Kool-Aid, and that a person's gender identity may or may not correspond with one's sex assigned at birth. As the, as, you know, as though the doctors, these OBGYNs are delivering babies, and they look down and say, well, this is the third baby I've delivered today, so we've made the first two girls, we'll make this one a boy as though it doesn't have anything to do with the physical evidence the doctor sees right in front of him. Blinken encouraged his colleagues at the State Department to use gender-neutral language whenever possible and show respect and avoid misunderstandings. Can you imagine the misunderstandings? This Secretary of State has to deal with foreign countries. Uh, let's take, for example, the almost 60 Muslim-majority countries. Do you think they're warmed up to the idea? that uh, the transgender rights should be a thing? Do you think that's a possibility? And then I've got this, two examples from Great Britain, which America should see as warning signs right here. Number one, you and I both know that guys literally cannot nurse babies. But if you pump a guy who pretends to be a girl with enough hormones, they can simulate female breasts. And now 
The doctors at the NHS, that's the National Health Service, that's socialized medicine in Great Britain, have declared that milk is as good for babies as mother's milk. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. For all the women out there who've had children, and your doctor probably told you, anything you drink, anything you eat, any medicine in your system may end up in your breast milk. So they warn you against drinking alcohol. They warn you against smoking cigarettes. You've got a guy who's had to pump his body full of enough hormones so that his breasts start producing milk. And now these doctors at the NHS in Great Britain have declared that milk is just as good as the stuff that comes from ladies. And then this one. This one was kind of sad. There's a young lady in Great Britain again whose name is Lindsay Smith. And she is apparently a soccer fan, a real solid soccer fan. But she was notified that she is engaged in hate speech and she can no longer attend Premier League soccer games at a stadium that's about 10 miles from her home. Now, what awful thing did Lindsay Smith do? First, I should tell you, parenthetically, Lindsay Smith is a gay woman. And why is that significant? Because she made some comments online on social media saying that no man is ever a woman. In other words, she rejects the idea of transgender. And what happened? Well, she got a notification. She was emailed by Newcastle United, which is her favorite team, soccer team. She got an email from team security that her membership had been suspended pending an investigation for an alleged hate crime. The investigation stemmed from tweets that Smith had posted on X, formerly Twitter, and she was told they could be transphobic because she said that men, no matter what they do, cannot be women. And that is hate speech, and she is now banned, not just from this soccer season, but from the next two soccer seasons. Her own free speech and the thoughts that go through her head are now sufficient to constitute a hate crime. And you say, well, that's not happening in America, to which I would always add, yet. Glad to be with you and glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. LarsLarson.com. He actually reads them. More with Lars right now. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for a cultural misappropriation by saying, is China, you know, kind of, uh, should we read the tea leaves by looking at China's actions and determine whether or not they're testing the waters for a possible Taiwan invasion with some of the activities they've taken up recently? Miles Yu joins me now, who's a senior fellow and director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute. Miles, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Lars. So we've been watching for a while. China flies warplanes uh, through the ADZ, the zone around Taiwan, in a provocative way. They take other actions, and now they drove away. Taiwan had to drive away a Chinese Coast Guard boat that had entered into its territorial waters near a frontline island. Tell me about that and, and whether or not this indicates to you that we can read that as, as ta uh, China is getting ready now to take some action against Taiwan. Well, the Chinese always have the kind of nervous uh, uh, 
spasm of political nature from time to time. Last week, it was about the mobilizing the entire nation's propaganda machine against the, the Argentine soccer star uh, Lionel Messi because he couldn't play in the exhibition game in Hong Kong. So China thought this was a huge international conspiracy against China uh, because uh, part of the reason was uh, Messi was playing for a club owned by two Cubans uh, with uh, anti-Castro, anti-communist uh, sentiment. So that's basically it. Now that was basically uh, looks so ridiculous. Now they focus on this Taiwan issue. This was a purely an accidental uh, occurrence uh, uh, for fishermen from China you know, in violation of some kind of, uh, of a fishing regulation. So their boat sort of capsized and then two of them drowned and two others were rescued by Taiwanese side that took it back. Normally this is basically was a pretty uh, uh, normal situation. So there was a negotiation or exchange of, uh, of bodies and uh, um, uh, information, rescue efforts and, and the records. And now, all of a sudden, in the last two days, the Chinese Communist Party propaganda machine is finding up this, uh, this anti-Taiwan sentiment, partly because uh, their top diplomat uh, sort of uh, delivered a very tough message in Munich a uh, uh, couple weeks ago. So they want to coordinate with that thing. I mean, it's all about the puffing and buffing. You know, within, the, within a few days, this thing will also dissipate. You think it will, and and then they'll go on to the next incident. And they're all about these little issues because you, I guess just from a distance, not knowing that much about China's you know mainland culture, uh, that that do they see the need somehow to constantly be calling this into question or that into question to maintain their their national face, or what's the reason? It's not the nation. It's the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party has uh, set itself impossible. Uh, task that is, uh, it, it tells the people that it's infallible. It's uh, uh, of a supreme wisdom, so you cannot do anything wrong. So you, to prove that, you must find a constant, tangible evidence to uh, to, to sort of you know uh, make people believe that. And this is the problem. Uh, this little two islands, you know, this this island actually was about uh, very close to mainland shore. It's um, about a hundred miles away from Taiwan, but not nevertheless two miles uh, away from mainland coast. Uh, uh, coast. So this uh, it's a very sensitive, but it's a, it's a, this kind of incident happen all the time. So um, I think you know um, they have to create some kind of minor crisis to showcase the Chinese Communist Party's uh, uh, awesome power and its infallibility. In the end, it always looks silly. You know that's why people are used to this kind of a uh, uh, I would say uh, cantankerous cranks. Well, because I mean the get off my lawn kind of phenomena, but. Doesn't it, seem, doesn't it ever come home to mainland China that when, say, you have some a fishing boat capsized and a couple of guys die, and then Taiwan helps to rescue some of your sailors and then makes arrangements to return them, does that kind of goodwill gesture actually do any good? Yes, but then uh, it's good uh, from your perspective, from my perspective, from normal perspective, but China doesn't take that away. Uh, first of all, the Chinese is notorious or notorious for Ill illegal fishing. This is the worldwide phenomenon. China has the largest, world's the largest fishing fleet. I mean, uh, they did most of the, they have done most of the fishing illegally, uh, not only in its coastal water, but also far away, in, even in Galapagos and the West Africa coast, for example. So uh, China has this kind of a skirmishes with uh, most of its neighboring countries. Uh, there are a lot of law enforcement confrontations between the maritime police of various countries, 
South Korea had a confrontation with the illegal fishermen from China, and the people were killed. The, the South Korean coastal uh, maritime policeman was killed, and so was the Chinese uh, illegal fisherman there uh, a couple of years ago. And in, in Japan and Indonesia also have this confrontation with the Chinese illegal fishing fleet. So this is the phenomenon that, that kind of sort of form a pattern, a pattern of a great concern for, for the international community. So it's not just about Taiwan. No, but, but how do we, is there any way that we have of getting the, uh, the mainland Chinese to start understanding that they shouldn't do what they're, what they're doing or threatening to do to Taiwan? Because this thing threatens to suck the United States into this dispute as well. While we didn't have any formal defensive agreement with Ukraine, we do have such an agreement with Taiwan, do we not? I don't think we have the agreement, but we have a, a, a pledge, which is a, uh, what we call Taiwan Relations Act. That yeah. was a 1979 law to uh, ensure that America will provide uh, defense capability uh, to Taiwan to fend off China's threat. So that's basically the commitment. And the United States is sell, uh, selling a lot of weapons to Taiwan for self-defense. And I think another thing is, uh, another thing is uh, uh, China fundamentally believes the international order that governs uh, all the international commons uh, and American activities uh, is unfair. They say it is dominated by the, uh, the hegemon, which is the United States. So they are determined to overturn the entire system of international order, and that's a problem. So any tiny incident, uh, normally it's kind of transactional occurrence. China would interpret that as uh, another demonstration of this unfairness, injustice of global treatment of China. This is kind of a revanchist uh, Perspective, which is very dangerous. That's exactly what the uh, late 19th century Germany was doing. This is exactly what the 1920s, 1930s Hitler and the, um, and the Japanese were doing. They believe they want to create a new global order in their favor, and they refuse to join. And the United States has engaged China for almost half a century, tried to engage China to to behave as a responsible member of the international order, and we have failed. And and does China see it uh, behaving or going along with what the other countries expect of them as somehow? Why do they not want to go along with it when they understand that acting like a good, you know, a good a part of the world community would would end up uh, engendering goodwill elsewhere? And behaving like uh, the guy who's always taking offense about something and saying there's a problem with this and there's a problem with that, and there's a conspiracy against us makes the rest of the world distrust them, doesn't it? And do they understand? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think China, I think the Chinese hubris comes from two sources. One is the Chinese imperial past, which basically is a is a middle kingdom. is just a very, very uh, uh, is the center of the universe. So China wants to be treated <laughs> as such. Secondly, is basically the communist uh, 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 sense of mission. I mean, they think you know the world is uh, fundamentally unjust, fundamentally exploitative. So China wants to change that. And they, 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 they combine this thing, that's why China does not want to be a, a player, a team member. I believe China genuinely wants to be uh, part of the international order. However, they do not want to see an international order where the United States and Western values, democracy, freedom, and the fundamental frames of modernity be the leading force of the globe. China wants to join the international order with its own value system, its own sort of a framework to be the leading, um, leading uh, rule of, of the day. So that's not going to happen.
They want to be a part of a world community as long as the world community looks like communist China. Miles Yu, thanks very much. Miles is a senior fellow and director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute. Back in just a moment. Glad to get your phone calls and emails. And uh, your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. If you're with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Right on the left coast. Get it? Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network. I don't want to let you know about this. This word broke about 10 minutes ago. In the Kansas City shooting, the one that took the life of a woman, a mother, uh, last week in Kansas City and left more than 20 people sent to the hospital with wounds, including 11 children. Two, listen carefully, two men have been charged with murder in last week's shooting that killed one person, that was the woman who was killed, and injured 22 others. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, but Lars, for the last week or so, we've been talking about the two juveniles who are locked up. And they were held on uh, gun-related charges, possession of gun, and those sort of things. But these two men, Dominic Miller and Lindell Mays, it sounds like this is where the entire incident last week at the big celebration of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl victory, this is where it began. This is the way it's being described by police. The men, Dominic Miller and Lindell Mays, did not know each other before the shooting. They were among several people who were arguing about something when Mays, quote, pulled his handgun first almost immediately and several other people pulled guns at the same time. Police say it was Dominic Miller's gun that fired the shot that killed the adult woman who was killed in last week's shooting. And then, of course, more than 20, uh, 20 others, 22 others were sent to the hospital. So at this point, the two juveniles who were detained last week, the minors, were being held on gun-related and resisting arrest charges. But the murder charges today have been brought against the two men that I identified, Dominic Miller and Lindell Mays, charged with murder in last week's shooting that killed one person and injured or wounded 22 others. To your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's go first to Weldon. Weldon, sorry about the long wait. Welcome to the program. What's on your mind oh, today? No problem, no problem, Lars. Thanks for having me. Sure. Hey, I have a solution for the uh, fentanyl problem that we have. What is it? Uh, for every pill that we seize 
the federal government seizes or any government seizes, we take $1,000 off our debt to China. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <and> ch- <laughs> I, I doubt you're going to get that past Joe Biden. Joe Biden would have to well, sign that law. And, of course, he's bought yeah. and paid for by China. So why would he want to go against his Chinese communist masters? But, well, you know, I get blaming China because... As I understand it, most of the precursor chemicals yeah. that are turned into fentanyl are coming from China to Mexico. But China could say, we're just selling chemicals. It's being made well, into fentanyl, for the most part, in Mexico, uh, and then brought into the United States. So they might object to that. And I have a feeling China would say, well, no, we're, we're not going to do that. But We're the United States. We tell them this is what's going to happen. That's one approach, and Weldon, I appreciate the idea. Let's go to Mark in Ellensburg, listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Hey, Mark, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, thank you, Lars. Uh, I've lived in China two different times, and uh, the problem is their brains work differently than ours. Let me explain. Okay. We have the Christian Judeo ethic of Let's do business. I will treat you fair if you treat me fair, and we'll both out come out ahead. Agreed. That's not how they think there. Their thinking is, uh, I'm not even going to list a price on this product. You ask me what, uh, how much it is, that's where we'll start, and then we'll haggle until we maybe come up with a final price. If I take advantage of you... That's your fault because you're stupid. Wow. There's the problem. We don't think alike, and we try to treat them with the Christian Judeo ethics, and it doesn't work. Uh, They take advantage of us if we let them. Let me ask you about another thing that China routinely does, and I get the impression that they think it's completely justified. So if there's technology in America, we and we understand there's cheating that goes on in the United States, but if somebody has a patent on something and you say, I own this, if you want to use it, you pay me for the use of the item I've, I've patented, whether it's software or chips or whatever. The Chinese apparently routinely steal technology, and apparently with their government's, uh, you know, the government's attitude toward that is good. That puts China ahead of our competition. Do you think I'm right in assessing it that way, that that's the way the Chinese government looks at it? Yes, that's exactly how they look at it. Again, if if I take advantage of you, that's your fault because you're stupid. And you, uh, that's where I thought it was going, because you know that in the United States, yeah. the, the patent and copyright system is not perfect. But at the very least, Mark, you come up with a smart new idea. You say, I've, I put a patent or a copyright on it, and then you use it. If you see, feel that somebody's ripping you off, you go to a government court. Well, first you approach the person who ripped you off, and you say, look, you're using my innovation. You need to pay me. And when they tell you to pound sand, you go off to court, and the U.S. government will actually say, Mark owns that, you don't, you pay Mark. And you've seen some stratospheric settlements in cases like that, where somebody's making cell phones and steals somebody else's software, and the, the U.S. government will say, you took his innovation, you have to pay him. It sounds like China doesn't work that way. No, they don't. Well, as long as they have that attitude, they're never going to be a part of a world community. I mean, they may be powerful, and they certainly are today, but if they continue to rip off the rest of the world, 
to the extent that we can say, then I don't want to do business with those people. I'd rather do business with people I can trust. We'll go elsewhere. And, Mark, I appreciate the call. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Two men charged in last week's shooting in Kansas City, and these men are charged with murder. And you've got the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host... My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. And as they say, no man or woman's life, liberty, or property is safe because the legislature is in session but there are some bright lights going on in olympia just as occasionally you see a bright light in salem from time to time as the lawmakers meet and try to make all these heavy decisions and one of those decision makers is representative peter abarno republican of centralia yes we try to get democrats on the show they're mostly cowards so they won't come on uh, but he is the ranking republican on the house capital budget committee representative abarno welcome back Hey, thanks, Lars. Uh, thanks for having me on. So in the capital budget, there's a lot of spending planned, and uh, you point out that this is a community up, not Olympia down budget proposal. Would you explain to my audience what you mean by that? So the capital budget's unique in the state of Washington because Republicans and Democrats actually work together on a bipartisan budget because it requires a supermajority to pass. So Republicans actually have a, a, a say in how that budget's fashioned. So uh, we're able to get a number of our policies included in these investments. Uh, the way this works is uh, we work with our community leaders, local governments, and organizations to identify some issues going on in our communities that we can partner with them uh, to find solutions. One of them uh, is home ownership. Uh, another is on natural resource type issues, uh, behavioral health and substance abuse. The issues that kind of get neglected in the policy the Republicans have an ability in the capital budget to actually drive down into those communities funding that can make a difference. Okay, and why is it, I mean, it just really sounds bizarre. 
uh, that that the legislature has Democrats in charge. And they basically say, we're willing to work with you Republicans, but only where we absolutely have to. And we need to have these large majorities to pass things, super majorities to pass things. So we'll work with you on this, even if we don't work with you on anything else. That's that sums it up. Well, it's in the Constitution. Uh, this is a bond type of budget. So uh, in the state of Washington, the Constitution requires two thirds vote on any bond bill. Uh, so uh, the Constitution dictates that Republicans and Democrats will actually work together on this. And honestly, it, it, we find some pretty good solutions and common ground on capital budget. I wish it worked that way in policy committees. Uh, but on capital budget, when Republicans and Democrats need each other, we w- sometimes work well together and could actually fashion some good solutions. I mean, wh- what would you think if you ever proposed, why don't we do this the, the same way on other policy issues and not just do it on the capital budget? Well, I, I actually propose that almost every year when we pass the capital budget. When I give my speech about the bipartisanship we use to pass this budget and work on it, I say I wish that we had do we would do this more on other committees because um, you know, we, there's a lot of give and take, and it's not everything we want, it's not everything they want, uh, but I think it's good for our community, and especially in rural Washington, where we often feel neglected by Puget Sound politics. So tell me this, what is the state planning to spend $1.27 billion on? Well, a, a big portion of that is going to be to uh, for behavioral health and substance abuse. I mean, we know, and you and I talked last year, I think, when the Blake bill was being uh, passed out yeah. of the House in a special session. You know, we passed this policy regarding uh, uh, making it illegal to possess uh, substances uh, like, you know, illicit drugs, but we didn't have any infrastructure or off-ramp to actually implement that policy. Well, this budget comes back the next year and says this is what we're going to do to invest in behavioral health and substance abuse so that when there is somebody who's amenable to treatment, we'll finally have a workforce and a place for them to get treatment where uh, sadly, we didn't have that when we passed that bill, and I, I had warned against that. Uh, but we're going to be able to invest about $100 million, which is proposed out of the uh, House proposal to uh, to deal with some of those issues. How much do you think you'd be able to reduce the need for things like facilities like that if, if the state uh, and both the state of Oregon and the state of Washington got on top of this illegal drugs or you know illicit drugs problem? Because, you know, I always think of it as there's $100 million being spent on capital. More will be spent to operate these places. And all of it is necessitated by an out-of-control drug problem in which Oregon and Washington tend to rank near the top of the nation as worst. You know, we're not we're not number one and number two uh, for good reasons. We're number one and number two for bad reasons. And we wouldn't have those bad reasons if we got on top of the problem. And we wouldn't have to spend maybe as much as $100 million. You're you're right on, Lars. I mean, sometimes it's exhausting because I feel like I'm chasing my tail. Um, we pass bad policies, uh, and then we're stuck the next year or two afterwards trying to implement some sort of funding mechanism or infrastructure to actually get it done the right way. Um, but you're right. In the minority, we spend a lot of time trying to fix bad policy and fix problems caused by a generation of the same party in control over and over and over again. Uh, so, yeah, it's exhausting. Uh, but, you know, I know that uh, with my caucus, we go back to our districts and we try to do the best to fashion a solution that fits, you know, our folks, not just Seattle. 
Let me ask you about the school, because schools is part of this $1.27 billion. And it's always struck me that government never seems to take care of its stuff very well. You know, when I look at the private sector, if you've got a private sector building, there are companies that sit in private sector buildings for, you know, 100 years. And maybe they're still in the buildings today. And they just take care of them. They invest in them. And yet K-12 seems to rebuild schools on a fairly, uh, you know, regular basis. Is that your impression or, or am, am I just off? off target altogether and in, in saying that i get the impression they're like the the kid who gets the new bicycle at christmas and by by march it's sitting out in the yard rusting yeah well that's kind of like my kids too but you're 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 not crazy i mean if we spent more time and effort on uh, school modernization uh emergent and urgent uh repairs uh, I think the building, the life uh, of the buildings would last longer, and we'd do a better job. Uh, K-12 through is the paramount duty of the state of Washington. It's in our Constitution. And, again, for generations, we're not only neglecting the operation side of it, but we're, we're neglecting the construction side of it. I mean, we need a good environment for these kids to learn, and it's been neglected. So this budget does a lot in investing in K-12. through uh, probably not as much as it can do or should do, but it's done in the right way with investments in districts that uh, need it the most. Um, and we're going to be looking at how we fund school construction in the future biennium. Uh, and this budget actually has some language on how we redo this whole process of uh, SCAP. We call it scrap SCAP because I think we need to take a look at how we fund those school construction projects. Okay, I've got an idea for you. I'll just throw you a crazy idea. I remember seeing a story about 20 years ago where the private sector spent about 3% of a building's value every year on maintenance of that building. And then they looked at government buildings that were spending about a quarter of 1%. Why? Because they spent the money they would have spent on the building on salaries and benefits and things like that. If you say if Olympia is funding your new school, you have to commit to put the same percentage into maintenance of that building over the future years that you... Uh, that, that the private sector does on comparable buildings. And if you don't do it, then the next time you come to Olympia, we're not going to give you as much money for buildings. What do you think of that idea? We've got a break here in a second, but, but what do you think of that idea? Well, I think there needs to be accountability. There's a checks and balances even within government, not just outside of government. So, you know, I agree. There's got to be a better partnership and some responsibility at the local level. You bet. That's Peter Abarno, who represents Centralia in the state legislature in Olympia. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show. We'll talk about a study on COVID vaccines. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. 
Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google. Yeah, he's everywhere. The Lars Larson Podcast. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. And I guess I have a dog in the fight if we talk about the jab. The jab is the MNRA, so-called vaccine, that was produced by Operation Warp Speed. Uh, and then turned into so-called vaccines in the late fall, early winter. Uh, it wasn't quite winter when they first deployed the so-called vaccine in uh, December of 2020 at the end of the first year of the uh, pandemic. But there were questions about whether or not this stuff is safe. Anyway, I want to talk about this in a brand new study about COVID-19 vaccines. And this one is a whopper because it looked at almost 100 million vaccinated individuals. And it looked through a number of different countries. The U.S. was not one of them. It was Argentina, Australia, Canada, Denmark, Finland, France, New Zealand, and Scotland. So a good spread of different kinds of countries from all over the world. And they studied 100 million vaccinated individuals. So. Uh, I have to disclose my dog in the fight. I decided not to take the jab. I didn't think I needed it, and it turns out I don't need it. And I've argued against it uh, since we began to find out some of the side effects of the jab. And uh, it it firmed my resolve, let's put it that way, uh, that I had made the right decision in deciding not to take the jab. But before I give you the details of this study, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put your right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. You want to send an email, talk at LarsLarson.com. We tried to make that one easy to remember. And you can vote in our poll on X, used to be the Twitter poll. The question today, Michigan has told its residents that the government of Michigan wants residents of that state to house illegal aliens and refugees for 90 days or longer. Now, they haven't ordered them to do it. They're not saying they're going to make them do it yet, but they're saying we would like you to voluntarily take in illegal aliens and refugees, provide them with a roof over their heads and presumably meals and everything else. Would you take them in? My answer to that would be a good, solid no. They are not invited guests of the United States. They are not here legally. And to do that would be to say, I agree with Joe Biden's open borders policy. I do not. U.S. law does not agree. The Border Patrol does not agree. ICE, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, does not agree. And now all of a sudden, Michigan, just like uh, Massachusetts, is asking that its residents house the illegal aliens and refugees. And I have a feeling that right be right after that ask is going to come the tell. I have a feeling that uh, before you know it, you're going to see states saying to their residents, hey, Joe opened up the floodgates, let in an invasion of illegal aliens. We're now telling you to take these people in. And in the meantime, we're diverting your tax revenue. We're diverting it away from schools. We're diverting it away from police. We're diverting it away from all the services that government is obligated to provide for its citizens. And we're going to divert all those monies to the illegal aliens who've invaded America. New York is already doing this very publicly. In fact, they're even handing out cash 
to people who are illegally in the country in amounts of $1,000 every 28 days. But you can vote in the X poll. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Uh, and then yesterday's poll, should a non-citizen have any say in the running of American elections? The example is San Francisco, where San Francisco decided that a Chinese national by the name of Kelly Wong, who's in the United States, she's been here five years, she is now, she now has a seat on the San Francisco Elections Commission. She can't actually vote in American elections, but she gets some say so. And her stated goal is to make sure that everybody who is in America is able to vote, whether they are a citizen or not, whether they can vote legally or not. She wants to make it possible to let them vote. But let me get to this study. It was published at thehill.com, which is one of the big uh, uh, online media that cover Capitol Hill. A new study on COVID-19 vaccines that looked at almost 100 million vaccinated individuals has affirmed the vaccine's previously observed links to increased risks for certain adverse effects, including myocarditis and Guillain-Barre syndrome. The researchers noted that COVID-19 infections have consistently been found to be more likely to cause the conditions observed in the study than the vaccinations. And they add that the uh, there should be weight given to the risk-benefit ratio of immunization. It's one of the conversations we've had on this show so many times when people say, well, do you think I should take the jab? I say it's up to you, but consider the risks and the rewards like you do with everything else in your life. If you say, I think I'll take a trip today, and there's a major blizzard blowing, you say, is the goal of the trip, wherever you're going, worth the risk of driving through that blizzard? If it's not, stay home. If it is, by all means, fire up the rig and make sure you got snow tires on there. So the study was done by Global Vaccine Safety Project, which, by the way, is supported by the Centers for Disease Control. So if you're tempted to say, Lars, this is probably one of those studies that was done by a bunch of anti-vaxxers. No, it's actually a project of the CDC and the, the Department of Health and Human Services. Several of the authors, of course, have found uh, financial support from or have relationships with government agencies, including CDC, New Zealand Health uh, Ministry, and the Canadian Institute of Health uh, Research, as they've disclosed a potential conflict of interest. So, if anything... You'd think these are going to be the people who stand behind their national government agencies in saying you need to take this vaccine. The researchers looked for 13 different kinds of what they call adverse effects of special interest in vaccine recipients for up to 42 days after the shots were given. The conditions included Guillain-Barre, as I mentioned, Bell's palsy, convulsions, myocarditis, and pericarditis. What did they find? A significant increase, that's the way they describe it, in cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome among those who got the AstraZeneca vaccine. Both mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna were associated with instances of myocarditis, inf inflammation of the heart muscle, which, was, uh, which occurred more than was expected. Because when they first put this thing out on the market and started giving people jabs in the arm, that was December of 2020. Now, by the time Joe Biden took the oath of office, although he apparently didn't know it, uh, he said nobody had had the vaccine till he came to office. He made a number of comments like that, even though he and his wife had both had a shot in December and a shot also in the month of January. 
and uh, there were already about 13 million people who had received the shot by that time. But both of the vaccines were associated with these increased risks, which were higher than they would have expected based on the research that had been done. And I just have to point this out to you. In 2019, not long before the pandemic began in the early part of 2020, Dr. Anthony Fauci was at a medical conference and they said, well, what about new ways of creating vaccines? He said, we may come up with some new ways of creating vaccines, but when we do it, we'll have to run all of them through all the clinical trials, all the testing to make sure they're safe. It's going to take close to 10 years to get that done. And that's what Anthony Fauci had to say about it. In the end, what they said was, we've got a vaccine. You know, Katie, bar the door. We're going to go ahead and go with it, even though we know it's got risks. And now we know the risks are greater than what they thought they were going to be. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. political climate he's the steamroller this is the lars larson show welcome back to the lars larson show well while the united states congress is in the middle of an election year you don't expect them to get much done at all which is something i think we ought to change although it's going to take a lot of change to make the congress actually work during an election year usually they want to avoid voting on anything consequential and yet this country needs so very much so what do we end up with legislation on the border from the senate that's a non-starter dead on arrival in the house a house package that was actually pretty good, H.R. 2, uh, except that went nowhere as well. So I thought we'd talk to James Massa, who's CEO of Numbers USA and one of the creators of the documentary America Invaded. James, welcome back to the program. I don't know what happened there. I'll tell you what. Where is he? Uh, Joel, can you double check? James, are you there? Now, we're going to have to have Joel reconnect him on another line. I don't know what's going on with that, but there it is. I want to get James on because I know he's got a perspective on what's going on with uh, with these legislation on Capitol Hill. And we keep ending up with legislation that passes the House and never gets anywhere in the Senate, uh, passes the Senate, never gets anywhere in the House. And meantime, we've got an American border. I think I might have said earlier today that 10,000 people a day, that's accurate. And then I said 300,000 a year. I might have said a year. It's actually 300,000 plus a month. James, are you there? Yes, this is James. CEO hey, James. Uh, I, I just introduced you as the CEO of Numbers USA and one of the creators of this documentary, America Invaded. Are we ever going to get a border bill that's actually going to make a difference? I, I believe you might. I, I believe that right now there's going to be a battle coming up. It's either going to be a battle having to do with Ukraine funding and other military funding versus border security, or it's going to be a battle on the actual funding of the U.S. government. That's right around the corner coming up in March. Right now the indicators are it's going to be a battle over the military funding and making sure we secure our borders before we secure anybody else's lands. So well, I think it's coming. I, you know, HR2 is in place, and I think it's a – uh, a bill that would actually secure the border. Well, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if when the House passes a decent bill like H.R. 2, I know the Democrats hate the idea of actually acting decisively on the border, but take it up in the Senate and have a vote on it. Let the, the, let the Democrats vote it down if that's what they want, uh, and then tell the American public, yep, 
The border's a mess, and we decided as Democrats we're not going to do it, except they'll probably dodge the decision altogether, won't they? Well, they have so far. Senator Cruz brought up a companion bill right after H.R. 2 was passed in the House, and they couldn't get it to the floor for a vote. So now they've gone through this whole thing that was the Langford bill with McConnell behind it, and it did anything except anything out of H.R. 2. I mean, it had nothing to do with H.R. 2, which secured the border, and it had everything to do with actually expanding immigration and and codifying illegal immigration. So, no, I I think that the Senate needs to show that they are willing to actually have conversation, which we're going to see on Mayorkas, by the way, as well. They're trying to avoid having conversation and actually do their responsibility with the Mayorkas uh, uh, impeachment hearing as well. Isn't that amazing that the Constitution can provide for impeachment, and it says the House has to vote on impeachment, and if it passes the House, then it goes to the Senate for a trial. And then to have members of the U.S. Senate say, we're just not going to have the trial. They're going to ignore the Constitution. Well, that is the issue with this whole administration is, you know, the laws exist from the Congress, and those laws are being followed. And throughout this administration's uh, time, they've ignored the law of the land. So immigration has been super high. You've had border surges like unprecedented ways. As you mentioned, 300,000 people uh, a month showing up at their southern border to come in illegally into the United States. I mean, these are unprecedented numbers. It's because the rule of law is not being followed. This is another example of that. You know, I guess one before I ask you about American Invaded, um, that's one of the phenomena I've been concerned about for a long time because I've told people, I said, if, if you end up with a country where the government says we're not going to follow the law, then I know a lot of citizens, mostly law-abiding citizens in this country, who are going to say, well, if you don't care about following the law, then why should I follow the law? You start to erode the voluntary compliance with the law that actually keeps things going most of the time. I mean, the IRS could say you have to pay your taxes or what? You know, we'll come and take your stuff. Well, fine. What if everybody doesn't pay their taxes? At that point, you've got an unmanageable problem. What if nobody obeys the speed limit? What if everybody breaks certain laws to the point where if enough people break a law, there's nothing effective the government can do to force you to follow? I mean, they can they can slap down some hard compliance measures on a few people. But if if a huge number of people just say, we're just not going to follow the law. And I think I think the both the House and the Senate, to different degrees, have done exactly that. They were eroding confidence that the government is going to follow the law. And I don't mind then the argument, well, if they're not going to follow the law, then why should I? Well, you know, we see that today in the hiring of illegal immigrants. You know, one of the one of the parts of H.R. 2 is the mandatory use of E-Verify, which is Good. an electronic, easy-to-use, inexpensive way to be able to ensure a person's actually a U.S. citizen or has a valid work permit. And if they do, it's, it's easy to identify them. No false documents, no confusion, none of those types of things. But it's not mandatory. So it would be like people saying, oh, you have to pay taxes, but I don't have to. So it's an unlevel playing field in the workforce. And so you end up having people who are out there trying to make a living and people out there trying to make a profit, and it ends up causing a, an unfair, un, unsafe environment. And all it takes is for us to make sure it's mandatory for everybody, just like taxes are mandatory for everyone. You should have to be a U.S. citizen or have a valid work permit to work in the United States. It's that simple. Yeah, and and there's an easy way to do it. In fact, James, there was a bill a long time ago. I think it might have been Steve King. It might have been a different member uh, who proposed it. I still have a copy of it. And his idea was simple. 
Tell the IRS to tell every business in America, when you submit your taxes, like I submit my taxes for my little business with three producers on the payroll, you have to show us a legitimate, you know, name and social and DOB for each of those employees. If you can't do that or won't do that, you don't get to deduct their wages. And uh, people who've never done business uh, say, well, what would that do? I said, well, if I had to pay taxes on money I've already paid out in salaries to people, I'm going to owe a gigantic amount to the IRS. My my uh, the the lady who does my taxes is going to say, Lars, you better clear those illegals off the books and hire somebody else because you can't deduct all the money you're paying as salaries. You're going to owe the IRS a giant chunk of money. And if they did that, it would have it would self enforce this. Every business in America would say, we can't afford to hire you if you don't if you won't pass e verify because we can't possibly you know exist if we take in a million dollars and pay out eight hundred thousand in salaries and then we can't. You know, we can't count the salaries as, as a cost of business because they're not legal workers. And we can't, you know, we got to pay taxes on 800 grand we don't have. That would, that would fix the problem right away, wouldn't it? Well, it, it does fix the problem. You know, the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas did a study and it's our mandatory e-verify in the states that have implemented it. And in every state that has implemented, depending on how they've done the enforcement, they've had a 33% to 83% reduction in what is legally called the alien presence. This is illegals who are there in that state trying to take jobs. 83% have left the state where you have mandatory E-Verify because it works. You know, it says, hey, everybody here is an equal opportunity employer. You have to be a U.S. citizen or have a valid work permit. And if you don't qualify for that, you need to go somewhere else. And, and people just leave. That's what needs to be turned off in our nation is this jobs yep. magnet is attracting people in. But hey, James, where can that, people, by the way, yeah. I want to, uh, where can people find America Invaded? Yeah, I wanted to say sensibleimmigration.com is the site to go to. Uh, we're also allowing you to have a, uh, a little bit of a special uh, session in there that you can get some extra things for yourself and become a Numbers USA member where you can actually have tools to be able to communicate these good things to your Congress people accordingly. So sensibleimmigration.com is the place to go. That's the place to go. James Massa, CEO of Numbers USA, brand new documentary, America Invaded. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.
Wise words from President Reagan. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver. The government is the car. And we decide where it should go. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to get your calls. I got to tell you about this. It's just come down today. Donald Trump has the cash. And I want to explain what I mean by that. But first, welcome to the program. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, and we have plenty of those uh, who write to me by email, and they say, you're completely wrong about this. And I say, great, call the show, explain to my audience why I'm wrong, and then just let me ask a couple of questions in aid of an objection, the way lawyers like to say. But I've got to tell you about what has happened with Donald Trump. So last Friday, just a, literally a few days ago, Donald Trump was ordered by a New York court, number one, you can no longer do business in the state of New York. Number two, you can no longer do business with any bank in New York State or any bank that does business in New York State. And number three, you owe the state of New York a staggering one-third of a billion dollars, $350 million. Now, Donald Trump's net worth is about $2.7 billion, but like most of us, most of his worth of his, you know, his total net worth is locked up in real estate. It's locked up in Trump Tower, in golf clubs and things like that. Not the individual clubs that hit the ball, but the, you know, country clubs that he owns. So he's got a lot of assets. So, that doesn't mean it's easy, though, to come up with $350 million. Only what that crazy partisan judge did in New York State last week was he made it even harder. Because what he said to Trump was, if you want to appeal this decision, and if you, if you take a look at what some of the lawyers have said about this decision, it is so far out of bounds that all of them believe that this will be appealed, number one. And number two, that it will result in another court either dropping that number to zero or dropping it down substantially. Because they said, if you went after everybody, not just in New York City, but in any place in America, and you said anybody who has ever exaggerated the value of their business, the value of their buildings, the value of their home in taking out a loan, you'd be putting a whole bunch of prison of people in prison. So... Uh, but and, and in fact, the truth of that, if you say, Lars, that's just you saying that. Let me quote the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, who came out right after the decision, because if, like I said, uh, the number of businesses in New York state who have likely gone into a bank or arranged financing for their various business enterprises who've ever exaggerated a little bit or a lot i don't think it matters how much i mean it's like being a little bit pregnant if you exaggerate the value of your business why last year we had sales this high and this year we're expecting sales this year of this amount and uh, we believe our business is worth this much money now you introduce me to somebody who does business especially in new york who has never exaggerated that and then you say, well, this fraud case against Donald Trump, what about the fraud he committed? The first thing you should ask your liberal friends who ask you about that is, well, who exactly did he defraud? And they're going to say, well, you know, the banks. He, he lied to the banks when he was borrowing money and he exaggerated the value of his properties. Then ask him, did you hear the testimony of the bankers who came in to testify? Well, no. Uh, do you know what they said? They said, number one, we don't care. 
We loaned him money. He paid it back either on time or ahead of time. This was a fraud case with no victims and no dollars lost. So, and yet the state of New York, in a very political move, has decided to fine him $350 million. Here's the key part. If you want to appeal a decision like that, the judge said you must, if you want to appeal, you have to put up 120% of the amount of money that you owe. In other words, about 420 or $430 million. And by the way, the interest is adding on to that amount by 9% per year, which not quite 1% per month means you're adding interest to that thing like crazy. So you say, well, now Donald Trump, who, as I said, has most of his wealth locked up in buildings and real estate and businesses, has to come up with $420 million or so. Guess what? His lawyer just came out today. Remember, the decision came down Friday. You've got, if you want to appeal, you're going to have to raise the money. His lawyers come out and said the former president will pay the nearly $400 million bond that is required to have an appeal of the fraud ruling. He said, I can tell you, or this is what his attorney, uh, Alina Haba said, I can tell you what the rules are. Within 30 days, even if we choose to appeal this, and we will, we have to post the bond, which is the full amount, and then some. We are prepared to do that. It's close to $400 million for something where he did nothing wrong. And already, within a few days, Donald Trump has raised the money. So, I know that some of you are saying everybody hates Trump. Maybe everybody in your circle of friends, certainly not my circle of friends, but it's very dangerous to make decisions or have opinions based on what your friends tell you because they're likely to have the same opinion you do if if you hate trump they probably hate trump too but consider that this man who's under fire from all sides and he simply wants to be president again for four years first time he was president he lost about a third of his net worth about a billion dollars he'll probably lose more in four more years as president that he'll do a darn good job as president of the united states and certainly better than that loser slow joe biden glad to have you with me it's the radio northwest network and the lars larson show I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.